Welcome to the Creating Feel podcast, where we take our work, our guests, and our conversations seriously. But we try not to take ourselves too seriously. Our hosts are here to share with you unique experiences, and hopefully it will inspire you and challenge you to make something stellar. We're doing a live-ish edition uh, with speakers at Abstractions. So Abstractions is a conference that's in the technology industry or in the digital arts, but spans across multiple different platforms or frameworks. So we're looking specifically at things that are not only in the software and hardware industry, but things that might be in digital media. So who I'm speaking to today is Anna Rankin, and she's going to introduce herself. But what I found really fascinating about her background and the talk she gave at Abstractions was that she comes from a really multidisciplinary um, industry. So she started in more of the traditional art form and then into illustration and now works at a general assembly in the uh, it, as a programmer and participates in that manner. But b- let her explain who she is and what brought her here. So Anna, go ahead. Hi. Uh, yep. So as Adam mentioned, my name is Anna Rankin. I'm a senior software engineer at General Assembly. I work on their platform operations team. So a lot of stuff I do now uh, is creating documentation, writing proposals, uh, and then working on our actual like learning platform. So like making sure learners get the right stuff assigned to them, uh, making sure they can access everything they need to. Yeah. So how long have you been there now? Oh gosh, coming up on four years. Um, Yeah, I started there. I actually took the boot camp a long time ago. I then did the junior instructor role, um, and then I just kind of snuck onto the engineering team, and I never left. Snuck onto the engineering (laughs) team. Yes. I love that. Okay, what was your, for anyone listening, what was your strategy to sneak onto the engineering team? Well, I took an interview. (laughs) I took an interview that was for a sort of. I forget the name for it, but basically where you go and you do like, not a sabbatical, but like a learning experience where you do like a swap where I'd be on the engineering team for a couple of months and then I'd come back and start teaching again. Um, and I've mentioned, I'm like, oh, by the way, I, I'm looking for full-time work and then yeah. <laughs> just kind of slid on in there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So how has that come up in other areas in your life and other kind of career paths? Because I know as an artist, a lot of, I, I have a background in illustration to a certain extent, not anywhere near to yours, but I know that it can be so abstract and it can be hard mm-hmm. to find a job or a place in an organization because it's kind of abstract. Absolutely. Right. So has that come up for you in other areas at all? Other either career paths or jobs, you know, using that to kind of slide your way in? Oh, for sure. Um, My first job was actually as a graphic designer at a little local government place in New York. And um, my interviewer at the time straight up asked me, she's like, you don't have any experience in digital media. Why should I hire you? And I was able to sort of spin the fact that I was an illustrator. I'm really good at communicating visually. And, you know, even though someone else might have, you know, the Photoshop or the illustrator chops, you know, I would be able to help them communicate their message better, which was, you know, BS. I was 19. But, uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh, like, sure. but uh, yeah, and then from there I went into you know, uh, teaching in China. I went into like working in the same company, doing event planning and PR and communications, writing copy. So I feel like my entire career has just been like, I could probably do that for you. And, uh, not using my art degree that much, but always using it, you know? <laughs> yeah, and like what way would that come up? Mm. So you talk about in your talk, or, or a lot of examples you give, is using illustration to illustrate concepts. Mm-hmm. At some at one point in time, you reference UML diagrams, yep. you know, to, to diagram how 
you know, models and entities relate to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I loved, you took this aside where you <laughs> illustrate what the crow's foot is, yes. right? So if you're not familiar with UML diagrams, um, there's different symbols that represent certain entity types. And one of them is a straight line with three mm-hmm. kind of points down connecting another yeah, like object. Branches off. Right. And that's to illustrate that the the primary object has mm-hmm. a relationship of many to the other object, yes. right? So uh, what I loved about that was like you <laughs> showed the diagram <laughs> and then at the end of it, you put a crow's foot on oh. the screen, right? <laughs> it's yeah. great. It's great. So it, it feels to me like that has been a really great use of your background is taking and visualizing um, s- different concepts uh, to make things more relatable. Yeah. And yeah. so how else have you been able to apply that? Definitely in teaching, because the more accessible that you can make, like uh, like Ali was saying earlier today, the more accessible you can make what you're teaching and the closer you can get to what a person knows, the more you can like sort of create those little connections in their mind. Like I think I mentioned in the topic, uh, like imagine your mind is just like a big wall and like the first time you hear something, it's like throwing something in the wall and it bounces off. Every little like illustration and analogy and diagram is like slapping another piece of tape over it. And the more tape you have on it, the more sticky the topic will be to, you know, what you actually know, like in your mind. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, like I went off topic there. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I, so kind of piggybacking on that, some some added questions is, do you have in your mind any uh, like a, a framework? So like when you go into a conversation uh, where, you know, it, it triggers for you, oh, this needs either a visual or I, mm. this would best relay in a visual sense. Is there any kind of traditional patterns or processes you find yourself following that get to that communication, right. you know, like, completeness? Mm. So I definitely come at it like an artist. Um, so in the talk, we talked about a little uh, drawing first for understanding and then drawing for communication. So if I have the if I have the luxury of some time or if I'm trying to figure something out myself, I kind of like draw out a mental map of what I know because uh, as humans, we have pretty good spatial memory. So it's a lot easier for us to sort of plot things out rather than try and keep it all in our working memory in our mind. So if I can draw sort of like arrows, boxes, a lot of it's like that entity relationship diagram, like the ERD kind of stuff. A lot of times if it's data, I'll model it that way. If it's a process like, you know, like a sequential process, um, I'll either draw like boxes with little hopping lines or, Mm -hmm. um, oh, there's someone named Denise Yu who talks about uh, doing sketch noting and she has a lot of sort of visual uh, vocabulary tips that you can use for that kind of thing. but yeah, when I'm working with another person and I'm trying to explain something, it uh, ends up looking a lot like, uh, you know those, what is it, Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, oh, uh-huh. like the conspiracy theory thing? Um, <laughs> it's like, it's the same way, like, if you have a conversation with someone, you know, it matters what they take away from it. It doesn't really matter the exact words that you say. When you're drawing with someone to try to explain something, you're going to draw things and be like, oh, that only captures a part of it. So you're going to like smudge it out. You're going to like, you know, draw another one. You're going to add to it. They're going to add to it. It's going to become like a collaborative thing. Um, So I guess the answer really is um, (laughs) just kind of drawing things until Mm. something makes sense and then honing in on the thing that makes sense and trying to get rid of all the noise. Right, right. So the beauty of it, especially in a sketching fashion, is that you can you can very quickly scrap. I, I mean, I, I know that for myself, 
one of the things I love about a whiteboard and a pen mm-hmm. is, you know, if I write it down in text, there's something about it that becomes more concrete in terms of collaboration. But when I sketch it, if I erase it or, or remove a chunk of it, there's a reset that happens like, oh, right, that's not relevant. Right. And this is a more, now what I'm about to do is more relevant or another attempt at making it more relevant, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. So I love that kind of approach to it. Now, the tools that you're using, do you have a preference towards either a whiteboard in a very visual, like a large visual sense, or is it something you prefer to go and create sketches on your own and present? Like, what's that model that you find to be really helpful and successful? Well, like you said, when you're doing sort of a collaborative thing and you're just able to sm- like erase the whiteboard, I love the fact that the whiteboard is meant to be erased. I love that it's supposed to be ephemeral. I actually, when I'm talking to people, I'm like, uh, you know, sometimes I'll grab a piece of paper and start drawing. I'm like, no, but don't keep that because they always want to keep it. I'm like, don't keep it. Let's just go find a whiteboard. Let's just go draw it out. You know, if you really want to take a picture of it at the end, you can, but I suggest you draw it yourself because, you know, you're reinforcing it by recreating it drawing from observation um but uh yeah i prefer whiteboards i like i like the ephemeral nature of them now you made mention to uh putting things into three dimensions makes it easier to put it into two dimensions Mm -hmm. which you know my my linear mind (laughs) goes wait is that backwards so can you explain that a little bit more yeah, so understanding something in three dimensions okay. makes it really a lot easier to depict it in two dimensions. Because if you're looking at a photo of something, if you haven't seen it in the round, you only really know that flattened perspective. You can look at the negative space around. I'm, I'm thinking about a dog because I draw a lot of dogs. But like you can see like the, the negative space around the head. You can see how the lines go, but you don't necessarily understand why that line makes that shape, why it curves around in that way. Um, but if you see a dog in 3D and you kind of like tilt your head back and forth, you're like, oh, so that wraps around back there. That's why that does it. Okay. Oh, you know, like the eye is actually an orb and it's set back in this other orb. And like these ears are little triangles, but I'm seeing it from a weird angle. Um, understanding like the actual construction of it, it helps a lot when you're trying to draw it out because little, you know where you can make sort of like little fudgy mistakes and you know where you want to like just indicate that something else is happening Mm -hmm. so so how could as developers where we might consider ourselves just not artists right which i want to hit on here in a second but how can we take those ideals and move that into our everyday thinking whether it's in the process of writing code communicating our ideas what have you found working either for your you know uh, in your own work or with others that makes that more relatable and usable to the Mm -hmm. non-artist? Oh, for sure. I would start with writing down or drawing out, or I would suggest, honestly, both. Uh, Whatever works best for you. Write down or draw out everything that you think you know about something. Put little highlights next to things that you don't know. For example, if you're creating a new system that has to talk to other systems, draw out in your mind, like, okay, so there's a system that already exists. I need to relate it to these other systems. Do you know how those systems connect? Just write down everything you know, figure out what the important parts are, and it'll become clear once you actually get them out onto paper. Uh, Clearer, I'll say. Um, It'll become clearer what the important parts are uh, once they're out of your head. So it's like almost like you can make a mind map 
Uh, a lot of people find success with that, which is kind of like where you draw like circles and you start drawing lines. You know, if you can work in a freer medium than just writing, I would suggest doing that um, just to kind of spark a little creativity and, you know, loosen things up a little bit. Let yeah. the let the creative juices flow. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's just <laughs> let the fires begin. Yes. Let the sparks fly. <laughs> that's fantastic. So, um you gave some examples I thought that were really fascinating. I, I don't know. My reference is more art history, but mm. of different artists that approached subject matters differently. And you're at the time you're referring to what is an illustrator mm-hmm. versus I believe what's just an artist. And um, can, so there were two major examples. I thought that were really poignant in terms of describing what an artist was doing um, and what their objective was. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the artist's names. Excuse me. I think you could probably help That's me fine. with that. But the first was uh, an artist that represented emotions yes. and feelings, yes. right? And their art was meant to do that. It wasn't meant to represent a situation, um, but it was to symbolize something we go through internally. Yes. And then another artist you referenced, which I thought both of them were beautiful. The second one was just so striking, mm-hmm. um, who it was representative, but abstract in a way that allowed for it to become relatable through the work Mm. in the sense that, or at least this is my interpretation of it. You know, I was observing it like, especially the first, it was a hand and I believe it was small birds that were pricking the hand. Yes. Yes. And you know, looking at it, I was like, Oh, that's very striking. But then when you express what it was for, Uh it was just captivating yeah so could you walk through a little bit i know we're visual we're visual just in this sense but this is also a podcast (laughs) like walk through what an illustrator versus uh what the average person a fine artist might think like what's that difference so uh both like creating art is something that fine artists and illustrators both do and i wouldn't say that there's a real difference in they both have to be very technical and they both have to keep in mind what they're trying to get across and use the tools that they have to convey that to the audience. But an illustrator has a very specific job and that's to bring clarity. It's to convey whatever they're being paid to convey, essentially. So Yuko Shimizu was the person that you mentioned before who did the conceptual illustration. I adore all of her work and she's just amazing human. She was one of my teachers uh, at the School of Visual Arts and uh, just a very kind person, very, very sensitive and like very creative in that you can take something like that uh, image of the birds pricking the hand was uh, supposed to be online shaming. So it was like being attacked by Twitter. So the the ability to go from an idea, okay, online shaming, and come to an image is something that takes a lot of experience, it takes a lot of practice, and it takes a lot of knowledge of the world around you and like a really a really good visual vocabulary. Mm-hmm. I think that that's something we have in common um, with, uh, I think that's something we can use as, illust- uh, as programmers. Um, building up a visual vocabulary, using that, you know, like we all know what the Twitter bird looks like. I say we all, but if you use Twitter, you know what the little Twitter logo looks like. But um, I think I'm meandering. I don't know where I am right now. No, no, that's good. No, so yeah. the uh, it, it, so just building that visual vocabulary that has a sense of relatability. Yeah. Yet at the same time can be used to create that sort of consistency across multiple, yeah. you know, moments in time. That image is going to, because that image has an emotional impact, 
it's going to stick with you. And when you think about online shaming, because you have that emotional, that strong emotional link, you're probably going to be like, oh, yeah, Ooh, I remember how it felt to watch those birds peck at that hand. Uh-huh. You know, but it's very different from what someone like Ernst Haeckel does, uh, who's a scientific illustrator. Um, if you take a look at the images side by side, you see like a lot of like the lines and the clarity and some of the styles can be the same, but the intent of the work is different. Right, right. So as programmers, um, well, as a lot of different people yeah. for that matter, right? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, most people don't identify as being capable to draw something really at all you know the most common thing i always heard was i can barely draw a stick figure i mean xkcd come on right (laughs) Right. what i also loved was you know as when you talked about your own background and your own style right and you um were referencing just the the multiplicity of ways that people can represent a you know something whether it's an emotion or an object a physical object or Mm -hmm. an abstract object and that uh, an artist or an illustrator or you know they are they have a a a way of themselves that that to do that right Mm -hmm. to represent things emotions or otherwise and what i loved was you know for yourself you even identified you know you're like i'm not that but Uh i'm this and this is me Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so like you know that example of stick figures you know it's like well you know stick figures can be a, a use they can tell a story yes. right mm-hmm. and so what would you say to people who don't identify as someone who can draw or create imagery like how could they think about it so that it becomes more accessible to them mm-hmm. and not a hindrance or something that an excuse to not you know participate or use it as a visual way to to communicate totally um, I mean, as technologists, we all experience imposter syndrome at one point or another, unless, you know, I don't know, you're just, like, have a very, very strong um, self, sense of self-worth. Uh, but, yeah, if you, like, everything that you started out at zero, like, everything that you're an expert in now, like coding, writing, speaking, mentoring, um, walking, you you had to start at zero with. So, if you let something like not knowing how to do it stop you, you wouldn't be a programmer. Like, so don't let that stop you from drawing. You know, just this is something you've already overcome. Just, it's just a new modality. If you're enjoying the podcast, you may also like to know we stream live most Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific on Twitch TV. Our host, Eric, focuses on helping developers level up. Anything from how to create more accessible applications to interviewing code schools and software interns. So go to twitch.tv slash codingzeal. That's twitch.tv slash codingzeal this Friday. We'll see you there. So what got you into programming versus <laughs> staying where you, you know, staying in the, just the traditional medium that you were in to a certain extent? I, I don't know if it's a, a bad thing to call it traditional, but, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. just to stay in that medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't do a lot of digital work. I did a lot of pastels, so I definitely call it traditional. Um, partially, I just didn't have the room to do it. But uh, <laughs> just like right. pastels are real messy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, uh-huh. um, <laughs> sure. So, uh a lot of uh, a lot of what I was doing, a lot of what Yuko does, and what um, a few of the other artists that I pointed out do, 
was uh, editorial illustration uh, that requires selling yourself pretty hard and it's a lot of freelance work a lot of the time there's not a lot of uh, permanent positions so I didn't I didn't love the freelance life uh, and my dad is a well was a software and hardware engineer at IBM when I was a kid and I always would make fun of him and like you know be like oh you're going to your nerd conventions and uh, you might imagine that's come back on me now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how's your nerd convention, Anna? I'm like, that's great. Right, right. Yeah. But, um, Especially in this very moment. Very yeah, meta of us. I know, super meta. But um, yeah, I found myself doing a lot of coding for fun um, at work and also to like try and make our website better. Because I told you I worked for a small government company. You can make assumptions about uh, our website and they'd probably all be correct um, <laughs> based mm -hmm. on that information. Yeah. So I remember trying to stitch together an RSS feed and like an email and like if, th th if this then that stuff to try and get a log of like emergency notifications to show up in real time on our website. And I just got so frustrated. I'm like, there has to be a better way. But I'm also having a lot of fun. Like nobody asked me to do this. <laughs> I'm just I'm just enjoying tinkering with it. So I'm like, wait a second, people, you know, I'm not going to lie. Like, people get paid a lot of money to do web development. I'm like, I'm doing this for free till like 8 p.m. Why don't I go try and do this as a career? And from there, I just never look back. It's, yeah. you know, I love, I love breaking things. That's great. <laughs> yes, that's great. Or erasing objects on a whiteboard. Whatever yes, that is. erasing everything. That's good. Well, cool. So... Where do you see this going for you? Is it uh, is your path right now to, to just dive deeper into software development, to find a means through which to bring it all together even more so? Like, uh, and, uh, you might may or may not be a goal setter necessarily, but what, if anything, do you kind of see your pursuits being over the course of the next you know period of time? Yes, yes, as the sparkles the in the sky pass in front of us. <laughs> Revealing the future, of course. Yes, the future. Um, I make a lot of emojis at work, and one of them is called the future, and it's just like a wide-eyed, sparkly, anyway. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about this emoji of the future. Yes, the emoji of the future. <laughs> I foresee myself becoming the CEO of emojis. No, um, <laughs> right. no there's, there's too much, there's too many standards that go into that. Uh -huh. um, uh, <laughs> I like going freeform. I think uh, one of the reasons that I got into software engineering as a practice rather than because um, I came from sort of like a junior instructor role and I really wanted to learn more so I could become a better teacher. I think that as I continue in this field, I definitely love learning. I love learning new languages. I want to keep doing that. But I found myself taking on more and more mentorship roles. And uh, I think that's something that I want to explore, uh, staying technical, but also helping bring other people up um, into new technical heights so that you know, we can all do our work more effectively and, you know, feel good about learning what we're learning. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, mentorship is so important. Uh, I, I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, but my feeling has, has been for a long time. Mentorship is even the most important from people who don't feel like they should be mentors right? because they're less likely to formulate a thought or an idea and present something that might not be true to them, mm -hmm. but it's what they feel like they should do because they're quote unquote a mentor. Mm -hmm. Whereas people who, you know, come at it feeling like I, I wouldn't say not 
feeling like they wouldn't be good at it, but don't feel like their mentors are, are more likely Maybe to just give imposter syndrome. Yeah, totally. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. That, that just gives a more relatability to it all. Right. And that mm-hmm. opportunity to really connect and, and to give something of real value in that mentorship model. Yeah. I just watched a really good talk where, uh, it was by Dana Lawson, um, from GitHub and she talked about authenticity. So a lot of times I'm like, I'm afraid to be myself you know, because I'm like, oh, I'm I'm a dingbat. Like, I just, you know, I, mm-hmm. I forget how to make words sometimes. You know, I like to draw. I'm not super serious. I'm, you know, I wear Hawaiian shirts. Um, but then uh, she talked a lot about authenticity and how like likes like. And so I'm like, being myself is a form of authenticity and a form of relatability. And it makes it okay for other people to not make good words. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Gives yeah. permission to be human. Yes. Totally. Yes. yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's fantastic. So uh, going back to your talk and just sort of looking at, in your mind, as the speaker, as the presenter, the core takeaway, the thing, the one or few things that if you could force it into the minds of of the people, right? I'm going to incept this in. What would that be from your talk, the ideas or ideals that you really hope people take away from what you were presenting? Definitely um, that forcing yourself into an uncomfortable space, whether it be through drawing or, you know, some other thing, forcing yourself to do something that might be seen as a little soft, like, oh, she's doodling or something like that can really help. It can have a huge impact on not only your own understanding, but the understanding of people around you. And to not judge yourself, like make sure that you're okay with the fact, like I mentioned in there when you're sketching, it's not the end product, it's the process. It's the learning process. So approaching everything as this is something that I'm doing in order to learn, in order to become better, in order to further my knowledge, I don't need to spend all my time like, you know, like I'm, I did, you know, I did this, but like tweaking my slides or like, you know, go through the experience and you will have learned from it whether or not you fail and you will fail and that's okay. Like, (laughs) right. (laughs) Drawing is a great place to fail. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, wonderful. Well, I really enjoyed this opportunity to chat with you. Like I really did. I really liked your talk. I thought it was Uh, coming from a performing background or at least a non-technical, traditionally non-technical background, when you said the words, I got a BFA or bachelor's in fine arts, I was like, (gasps) my people. I totally resonate, 100%. Uh, So I really appreciate it. That's right. (laughs) We are somewhere. Uh, So to have that uh, multidisciplinary sort of background and application, I think was really awesome. And I think for a lot of people, they don't, some of them have chosen an edu- or a, to, to use education to further a career path with a hobby or a passion, mm-hmm. whereas others just have a hobby and a passion, uh-huh. right? Uh, I would imagine that there's a lot of artists, illustrators out there that never went to school and therefore would never think they're, what they're doing is serious, right? right? Yet at the same time, as I've always found that uh, in a lot of ways, it's actually more serious because they're doing it in spite of not having any obligation coming out of education to do something with mm-hmm. it, right? So it's very cool. And so, again, I really appreciate you just bringing it all to the table. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, good. Well, any any parting words or thoughts uh, for our audience? 
Draw more. Draw more. Perfect. That's a great way to end. <laughs> Definitely <right>. draw more. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Anna. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Again, my name is Adam Cuppy. I've been your host today. Thank you so much for listening. All right. Cool. Thanks for listening to the Creating Zeal podcast. Like what you heard, drop some stars in your streaming service of choice, and then tell your mom, a friend, a colleague, a client, or someone you just meet on the street. We'd love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email at podcast at codingzeal.com.